0: Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Hey, everyone. This is Pastor Ben. Thank you for joining The Daily Word We are studying books of the Bible, a chapter a day, Wednesday through Friday. And we've been looking at the book of Acts. Today we're finishing the book of Acts, Acts chapter 28. Can you believe it? 28 days. Obviously, it took us to get here, but because we're not here every single day, it took us a couple months. So grab your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 28. Let's pray, and we'll jump into the word today. Father, we thank you for your word, and we do pray that your Holy Spirit would bless it, that you would teach us, give us encouragement and conviction. Father, help us to understand your word. We want to follow you. We want to obey you. And so we welcome you into our time. We invite you to be the one that teaches, the one that convicts, the one that encourages. We look to you now and we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, hey, God bless you guys. Listen, I'm so excited that we made it all the way through the book of Acts. And today, as I said, we're on Acts chapter 28. Let's go ahead and start reading. Actually, let me stop. I'm going to do it a little bit differently. Usually, I read all the way through, and then we come back and I go through sort of verse by verse or a couple verses at a time. I'd rather just go verse by verse, but let's be reminded where we are at in this story or the narrative here of the book of Acts. Last or yesterday, and the last couple times that we've been together, we've been following Paul. Paul stood before the Sanhedrin, the Jerusalem council. He also stood before several Roman governors. We talked about Festus and Felix, and then he stood before King Agrippa. He appealed to stand before Caesar, even though they could find nothing wrong with him. He's in chains because of preaching the gospel, and there was a dispute between him and the Jerusalem council, the Sanhedrin, and as a result of that, he ends up before the Roman governors, and he appeals to Caesar because God has a plan. God's plan is for Paul to stand before the Roman emperor. And that's what the Lord has called him to do. And so he's suffering. He's in chains. He's going through trial after trial, difficulty after difficulty. He's standing before all of these different leaders and having to give the same account. And every time he does, practically, he preaches the gospel. And so we read yesterday about how he's on a ship and he ends up telling the captain of the ship and also the centurion that the ship is going to be wrecked and it most likely will cause the death of those who are on the ship. They don't listen to him and they end up being shipwrecked and they don't lose their lives. And we read right at the end of chapter 27 where they're, they're actually moving towards an island and although they're, they've lost the ship, they've lost the cargo, they've lost everything, they're not losing their lives, and they're coming ashore to an island called Malta, and that's where we pick up the story right here. Acts chapter 28, verse 1 says this, When they had been brought safely through, when we found out that the island was called Malta, the natives showed us ex- extraordinary kindness, for because of the rain they had set in, and because of the cold, they kindled a fi- fire and received us all. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened itself on his hand. Now this is interesting because there's different words for snakes in the Bible, different Greek words, and the word here that's used for snake is a venomous snake. So viper is a great translation. Sometimes, again, people will dispute this because they've said historically that on the island of Malta there aren't any venomous snakes, but... Luke was a physician, he was a doctor, and he's actually very accurate and precise when he records uh, these accounts. And so we can trust him, we can trust his accurate recording of what he saw and what he experienced. So although there might not be venomous snakes on the island today, that's probably because of the increase of population has moved certain you know animals or snakes to be extinct in these places. And that's quite normal but it's a venomous snake it's a viper that latches on to Paul's hands and it says when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand i don't know if you can picture that there's a snake hanging from Paul's hand they begin saying to one another undoubtedly this man is a murderer and though he has been saved from the sea justice has not allowed him to live now you just got to remember Lots of theology during that time, and even during our time, suggests that if a person has something like this happen, they must be cursed by God and they deserve it. Again, they deserve it. When bad things happen to people, they must deserve it. So that's what they thought, because they're thinking, this is just such a random, random act. It's such a random thing that could happen where a snake could jump out and latch on to this guy of all the people there, and although the shipwreck didn't cause his life to be lost, This is God's way of punishing him, and obviously they believed in many gods, those that were apart or or around him at this time. They weren't just believers in Jesus. They were people of the island, and uh, they believed that he was cursed by God. They believed that he was receiving justice. However, he shook the creature off into the fire and suffered no harm, but they were expecting that he was about to swell up or suddenly fall down dead. But after they had waited a long time and had seen nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and began saying he was a god. Isn't that amazing how they go from thinking he's cursed by God to he is a god? This is the pagan mindset around Paul at the time. And so again, theology says if bad things happen to you, you deserved it. You must have done something bad. But when you overcome their thinking and also these bad things, when you don't suffer the same type of fate or harm as others do, which I'm going to talk to you about here in a minute, then there must be something blessed or God-like about you. And obviously, there is something God-like about Paul. It's Christ-like. He's not God, but he's following the one and true God, which is going to continue in our story, this, this mindset that we want to or filter, we want to read through. Verse 6 But they were expecting that, oh, sorry, verse 7, Now in the neighborhood of that place there were lands belonging to the leading man of the island, or the governor, named Publius, who welcomed us and entertained us courteously for three days. And it happened that the father of Publius was lying in bed afflicted with recurrent fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him, and after he prayed, he laid his hands on him and he healed him. Verse 9, after this happened, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases were coming to him and getting cured. They also honored us with many marks of respect, and they were setting sail. They supplied us with all that we needed. So they honored them with respect. They provided food for them, shelter, clothing, gave them everything that they could possibly need, not only for their three months there, but for their journey as well. Now, the next verse, verse 11, says, and the end of three months we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered at the island which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. Now, I just want to say this, okay? For three months, Paul was on the island of Malta and he was there with the crew of the ship. Remember, it said 276 people, I believe, 270 people were with Paul. All of them, all of their lives were retained, so they're all on this island together. Paul has a few companions with him. We know Luke's with him and Aristarchus, Aristarchus, I don't remember how to say his name, but he's got another guy with him, so we know at least two people are with Paul. But there's the captain of the ship, the helmsman, the crew of the ship, and the centurion and Roman soldiers. Now, the Roman soldiers and the centurion are watching Paul the entire time. They've seen everything. They've seen Paul prophesy and say the ship was going to be shipwrecked, um, that we would lose the cargo and we would lose our lives. And then Paul got up and prophesied again and said, don't don't uh, let down the small boat while we're here. If you do that, those men will die. They didn't do what Paul said. They cut that. Paul told them that they would live. He told them to eat and use some of the food that they have because they're, they're supposed to make it. They end up making it onto this island. They see Paul uh, have a viper bite him. He shakes it off. Nothing happens. They see this this prophetic man, they see this person that can heal the sick, he just heals the governor's father, and so they're watching this the entire time, and there's no way that some of them didn't become Christians. Now, the text doesn't say it, but I believe it, because there are other things that indicate that the Romans gave Paul favor as they were traveling with him. We're going to read that in a minute. But I want to make a comment, because it says they were at Malta for three months, Paul didn't plan on being there. The Roman centurion didn't plan on being there. The crew and the ship, of the ship didn't plan on being there. But here's the thing. We can come into a time where we didn't plan on being where we are for months. And we've got a choice that we've got to make. And I'm talking to, I'm talking to Christians. I'm talking to us as believers, as followers of Jesus. If, if Paul would have allowed his circumstance to depress him, to cause him to have um, a horrible attitude, cause him to just have a survival mindset, a woe is me type of mentality, an anger at everything that was going on. If Paul would have allowed his attitude and his perspective to be the Lord over his life, that three months would have been a total waste. You know, that, that three months would not have been a time where he would have healed the father of the governor that was there and then healed all of the people that came to him. Paul had to adapt. Paul had to change his attitude. And now Paul's not the apostle of Malta. Paul's got a healing ministry for three months. I mean, this is fascinating to me. Paul's not the evangelist or the apostle to the Gentiles at Malta, although that he is an apostle. He had to adapt. He had to change his attitude. And as he did that, because God was over his life, Jesus was the Lord of his life, God gave him a ministry in a place that he never thought that he would be. He couldn't even imagine himself being there. And it started to change a community for a short period of time. Now, I wanna use that as an example for how God wants to use our life. If we're willing to allow God to change our attitude, we might come into a place that we never planned on being. We might be there for three months. Come on, somebody, we might be there for 12 months and we couldn't foresee it. We can't even imagine it. We're angry about it. If we don't let God change our attitude, we're gonna miss out on what God wants to do in and through our lives. God wants to use our life. God wants to heal through our life. He wants to save through our life, through the message that we bring. God wants to minister powerfully through our life. But if we are not willing to change our attitude and give those three, five, 12 months to the Lord, then we're gonna waste all of that time. We're gonna spend it on self-pity. We're gonna spend it on selfishness. We're gonna spend it on anger. It's not worth it. What's worth it is giving that to God, asking him for a new attitude, receiving his power, giving sacrificially to those that are around us. When we do that, listen, God will come through powerfully. And that's what we want. It's amazing because it says in Mark chapter 16, I think it's verse 18, just in reference to the snake, it says, you shall take up snakes and they shall not harm you, right? Talks about drinking poison, it talks about harmful things happening to or harmful things in our life that will not cause harm. What's the context of that verse when Jesus says that to his disciples? The context is go preach the gospel to every nation. Go preach the gospel to the whole world. Go make disciples. Matthew 28, 18. Make disciples of all nations. Jesus is telling his disciples, when you do what I tell you to do, these normal things that would kill people, that would harm people, they won't even touch you. That's what he's saying. He's giving us a promise. I will take care of you when you take care of the mission. If you stay focused, laser focused on the mission that I gave you, the mission that I began, that you are to continue, that's the book of Acts. We're continuing the mission of Jesus. We're continuing to share the message of Jesus. We're in the power of the Holy Spirit. We're giving away what what God has given to us. If we stay focused on that, Jesus promises the very literal thing that happens to Paul. You will take up snakes and they won't even harm you. He shakes the thing right into the fire. You know, sometimes we just gotta shake some stuff off and get about the business of the kingdom of God and minister to people. That's what it's about. And yeah, you know, some of these things, they shake our faith. We get shipwrecked in life, we end up in a place we didn't plan on, we didn't want to be. But those three months or those those years, God will use them. He wastes nothing, but sometimes we do. And so let's ask God to change our attitude. Let's ask God to turn us around because people are watching. People are on the other end of our obedience and we can't waste any time. We don't want to waste our life. We don't want to waste any minutes. And I know that's your heart and that's my heart as well. If we really are focused on the mission, then God will honor that. God will bless that. God will use that. Here it says here in verse 11, at the end of the three months, we set sail on an Alexandrian ship which had wintered and at the island in which had the twin brothers for its figurehead. After we put in at Syracuse, we stayed there for three days. From there, we sailed around and arrived at Regium. And a day later, the south wind sprang up. And on the second day, we came to Petulia or Petuli. There we found some brethren and were invited to stay with them for seven days. And thus, we came to Rome. I I just want to point this out. It's kind of a funny thing. You would never see this in verse 14 unless you just stop to think about it. Remember, Paul is basically under arrest. He's appealed to Caesar The Roman centurion and soldiers are taking him to Caesar through all that they've gone through, and they end up in this place, and the disciples there beg Paul and his companions to stay for seven days. Now, why in the world would a Roman centurion and soldiers allow Paul to stay there for seven days? Here's my theory. I believe that they were either saved or they didn't want to say no to all that they had already seen God do their entire perspective was getting transformed by being around Paul for a couple reasons. They were seeing the power of the Holy Spirit, number one, the healing and the signs, the wonders, the miracles, and so they were a bit in awe. I think they were expectant. What else is God gonna do? Let's not say no, Uh, it's just another week. So maybe they were in expectation and kind of a little bit in awe and wonder because they'd never been around such a miraculous life before. Number three, they watched Paul suffer. And this is the part that I want to remind you of. They watched Paul suffer. So he is under duress. He, he's gone through all that they've gone through. And yet Paul is healing. He's ministering. He's not acting like everyone else. When people watch us suffer, it's one of the most powerful witnesses that we could possibly give to another person. Because Christians do not suffer like other people. Other people get angry. Other people throw rocks back when rocks get thrown at them. But when rocks get thrown at us, when difficulties happen in our life, we don't respond the same way that the world does. When people see us suffer I'm not talking about being a door, like a doormat. I'm not talking about needlessly. I'm not talking about being pious, woe is me. I'm talking about when life happens and we suffer in a way that reveals Jesus, the world sees it. And I believe that's a great sign and a wonder. It's the same as a miracle because it's not normal. The Roman centurion and the soldiers, they saw Paul suffer and they saw him do it well. They saw him reveal something that they couldn't understand. And they, I believe that they probably got saved. Some of them must have come to Christ. And so they gave him favor. They gave him favor because they didn't know what else to do. It's a, it's a small verse, this whole thing about seven days, the, the disciples in that place that Paul was at begged him to stay, further, stay there for seven days. He couldn't do that without permission, and yet he had it. Verse 15, and the brethren, when they heard about us, came from there as far as the market of Appius, And the three inns to meet us. And when Paul saw them, he thanked God and took courage. When we entered Rome, Paul was allowed to stay by himself with the soldier who was guarding him. Again, there's favor. After three days, Paul called together those who were the leading men of the Jews. And when they came together, he began saying to them, Brethren, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of the fathers or our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they examined me, they were willing to release me because there was no ground for putting me to death. But when the Jews objected, I was forced to appeal to Caesar, not that I had any accusation against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I requested to see you and to speak with you, for I am wearing this chain for the sake of the hope of Israel. They said to him, We have neither received letters from Judea concerning you, nor have any of the brethren come here and reported or spoken anything bad about you. But we desire to hear from you what your views are for concerning this sect, Christianity. It is known to us that it is spoken against everywhere." Paul goes and speaks to the Jews in the area that he comes into. Obviously, he's going to stand before Caesar. He wants to speak to them, <clears throat> and he wants them to understand from his perspective what has transpired. Okay, so the Jews in the past, those places that he was in, they, they were indicting him, they were accusing him, they wanted him to die, they wanted him to, him to be imprisoned. I, I want to bring up this sort of as a final thing, and we'll just close at this point. There's, a lo- there's just a few more things um, We do not see Paul stand before Caesar. We know that he's in prison for two years, but history tells us he does stand before Caesar. We just don't read about it. But Paul appeals to the Jews. I just want to say something, okay? Paul wasn't bitter. This is something that can happen. When you suffer and you go through difficulty at the hands of someone or a people group or those that you perceive would come against you, this would be the Orthodox Jews. Paul was an Orthodox Jew. Um, He is Jewish, but I mean in terms of religion, practicing Judaism. Paul was that, now he's a follower of the way, he's a follower of Jesus. Paul's heart to the very end of his life was to continue to reach his people. That was his heart. I was struck by that this morning and that Paul didn't get bitter. You know, it's not hard to get bitter against the people that you once were a part of. I've seen it, I've experienced it myself. We can get bitter against the very people that we were once a part of. And you know what? It doesn't reveal Christ. This is what we've got to know, is that we've got to have a heart for the people around us, um, the people that God puts us around. We've got to have a, a heart for the people in our city, the people in our family, um, the people in our country. We've got to have a heart for the people of the nations. We've got to have a heart. We can't grow bitter against anybody. We cannot allow a root of bitterness to grow up, no matter how we've been treated no matter what has happened in the past. And I believe that the Lord wants to give us that unoffendable heart. But receiving that unoffendable heart means that we're willing to suffer. It means that we're willing to go through hardship. It means that we're willing to endure. It means that we're willing to forgive. And sometimes those things won't be made right. Paul didn't get apologies. Paul didn't, you know, nobody understood his perspective, nor would they try. Paul just had to suck it up. But he didn't just suck it up. He gave it to the Lord. That's the key. The key is not just bearing it. The key is not just having self-pity and walking around sort of with this, uh, dragging this like, um, you know, kind of attitude of like, I'm just, uh, just going to go through hardship and this is how it is. And I'm just a person that's going to experience difficulty. And this is my lot in life. Paul gave it to God and God gave him something in exchange, joy and peace and compassion. He gave him compassion so that Paul, to the end of his life, would still seek to reach the people that represented those that were opposing him, those that he used to be a part of, those that he used to minister alongside, those that he used to agree with. And now they don't have agreement because Paul is following the Lord. And as he's following the Lord, he's getting opposed by those that he used to be in company with. I just want to tell you, that happens to all of us. It happens to us in our families. It happens to us in all kinds of situations. Don't grow bitter. Don't grow bitter. Give your bitterness to the Lord. If bitterness grows, it starts to change the way we are. It starts to change the way we talk. It starts to change the way we pray. The only one that should have that power, the only voice that should have that power in our life is the voice of the Lord. That's why being sharpened in the word every day is so powerful. Listen, there there probably is barely a day that I'm in the office that doesn't go by where I'm telling people, Get into the word of God. Do not outsource your spirituality. Don't allow somebody else to become your spiritual source. Jesus is your source. The Holy Spirit is your source. The word of God is your source. You know that, but I'm saying it to you again. Don't outsource your spirituality. And if you're a parent, don't let anybody else be just the voice of Jesus. Jesus himself has to be the pastor for our kids. And we've got to teach our children how to come to God. We've got to teach our children how to pray, how to study the Bible, how to love the Lord, how to receive from the Lord, how to respond like the Lord. We've got to pastor our kids well because they're going to grow up and they're going to not love what we love. They're not going to know what we know. We've got to give to them what we know. They've got to learn how to endure suffering. They've got to learn how to submit under trial and tribulation. They've got to learn how to love people even when there's no love in return. We've got to give this inheritance to our children because it's something that they see in us. Part of the way we do that is teaching, part of the way we do that is example, and part of the way we do that is endure ourselves with our example. Amen. We've got to do that. We've got to do that for us and for the next generation. Listen, I want to encourage you. There's something really powerful. God wants to change our attitude. He wants to give us the right perspective so that whatever however many months that we didn't foresee, we're we're in the situation. It might not be what we wanted, but God can turn that into us having a healing ministry. Come on, Paul's on the island of Malta and he's got a healing ministry. And as a result of that, he gets favor. Maybe sometimes the unforeseen situations that we find ourselves are actually the way that God is gonna set up our next season. That's what happened to Paul. Paul got favor from the Roman centurion and soldiers because of what they saw in his life. They saw the way that he suffered, they saw the power, the signs, and the wonders, and they saw people come to faith. I bet you some of them came to faith too. When they watched his life over a period of time, they gave him favor. That favor is what I believe allowed him to minister to more people until the end of his life. Paul would not have had that favor, Paul would not have had those opportunities had he not been the man he was and given his heart to Jesus through it all. If we don't do the same, we won't experience the same. But if we do the same, we will experience the same virtue of Jesus that we see in the the book of Acts in the life of Paul, Acts chapter 28. Lord, have our attitude. Lord, give us the right attitude. Adjust it so that we can be a minister in the situation that we're in and not just contribute to Sort of the depressing, like, you know, comments and bitterness and all that. Help us to see things rightly, to respond rightly, but also help us to realize that people are watching how we respond, what we're like. Lord, help us to know that. Help us to lead people to Christ just by our example. Remember, I've talked about this before, but the way we lead people to Christ is we do good works, we are a good example, Christ like and we share good news, good, good, good. Those are the three goods that I believe are the recipe that lead people to Christ. And we have all three of those. Man, I'll tell you what, the devil can't stop us. Hard situations can't stop us. Nothing can stop us. If we don't allow ourselves to stop us, our own bitterness, our own discouragement to stop us, nothing can stop us because God's mission remains the same. God's intention is the same. God's power is the same. But sometimes we're not the same. And so God wants to turn that attitude around. He wants to give us power. He wants to do signs, wonders, and miracles through our life. He wants to use the situation that we're in should we let him. And God wants to lead a lot of people to Christ. His mission does not change. And so we want to lay hold of that today. Lay hold of that today. No matter what that looks like, don't allow bitterness to be your master give it to the Lord right now. In fact, let's do that today. Let's just give our bitterness to the Lord or any other attitudes to Him. He'll take them and He'll exchange them. And that's what we're asking God to do today. Father, we do thank you today that as we give you our bitterness, as we give our discouragement, our disappointment, depression, whatever it might be, we give it to you right now. And we ask you, Lord, that you would exchange it for joy, for peace, for focus, Lord, we pray even today, right right here in this moment. We ask you, Lord, that you would shift our perspective, make us a minister right where we are. We trust you for that. We love you. We thank you. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.